All right, and welcome back, beloved. Today we're continuing with our Book of Zechariah series. We are on chapter 1, verses 18 to 21, and today we are going to be breaking down the vision of the horns and the craftsmen. Now, as always, if you'll go to foolishministries.com, you can find our whole Zechariah series where you can not only enjoy these videos, but also to review every week, I highly recommend you go back and read over the PDFs. Each one is about three or four pages per series or per video. That way you can get up to speed because Zechariah is a complex book. Um, today we're just going to be looking at three verses. Zechariah chapter 1, verses 18 to 21. I highly recommend you pause the screen right here. Look over these verses, pray over these verses, and then we are going to jump right into the text. And so here we go. So Zechariah chapter 1, verse 18. Then I raised my eyes. Zechariah raises his eyes and looks, and he sees four horns. That number four is very important. So the first thing in this verse is Zechariah lifts up his eyes and looks. Now, it's very important to understand the first vision has now concluded, the one with the angel of the Lord and the man on the red horse and all of that. And it concluded with a message that God will comfort Zion. God is coming back to Jerusalem. He's going to comfort Zion. So now we're in the second of eight visions that are revealed between Zechariah chapter 1 and and chapter 6. And in this second vision, God is about to reveal more of the details of this plan. You can't really separate these visions from one another. They all unfold the last. Each one gives more details than the last, essentially. And so in this vision, we're going to hear more about how God is going to comfort Zion. And very interesting, several times throughout the eight visions, you have this phrase, then I lifted up my eyes, indicating we've gone from one vision to the next. And when it says he's lifted up his eyes, that could mean that he was bowing in reverence, just like John and several other people, when they see visions or angels, they are overwhelmed and they just bow in reverence. So it could be that uh, Zechariah has to kind of gird up the loins of his mind, right? And kind of shake off the dust. And he's like, all right, I got to get on to the next one. Um, in chapter four, verse one, we see Zechariah was actually sleeping. Even though all eight of these visions were received in a single night, somehow Zechariah still found some time to sleep at one point uh, when he had to lift up his eyes after he was asleep in chapter four. And that could be because he was absolutely exhausted. And so he lifts up his eyes and looks, and what does he see? He sees four horns. Now, we're going to discuss this. It's actually really clear in Scripture what a horn is. Just as an animal uses its horn to attack and defend itself, the horn of a nation represents the strength of that nation. The horn has to do with power, has to do with strength. Just like on an animal, it uses its horn to attack. Now, all throughout scripture, it's actually really clear. A, ho a horn is typically a king or his kingdom. I'll repeat that. It's typically a king, but it can also be his kingdom. It could be a ruler or its government, a king or his kingdom. Super important. 
In Daniel chapter 7, we learn of a little horn. It's actually the Antichrist. This will come in later. And he has eyes like the eyes of a man. He's brilliant and a mouth uttering great boasts. This little horn can speak, and we learn later that he is the Antichrist in Revelation. In Revelation 17, there's a final government that sort of rules the world. And in the vision, there's 10 horns, right? So don't get confused. 10 horns, four, four horns. Right now, we're just discussing what a horn is. And in Revelation 17, it's very clear. This final government that rules the world, the 10 horns in the vision are indicative of 10 kings, okay? So a horn is a king or his kingdom. In fact, Jesus is called, not only is the Antichrist called a horn, Jesus is called a horn. Luke chapter 1, um, literally, if I remember correctly, Zacchaeus is praising God, um, or Zechariah is praising God, and, and uh, he literally says he has raised up a horn of salvation. This is the father of John the Baptist, whatever his name is. <laughs> but he's praising God, and he says God has raised up a horn of salvation for us. Jesus is called a horn of salvation in the house of David, uh, you know, King David. Jesus was of the lineage of David. So very clear, a horn in Scripture is a king, is a ruler, and it can also mean his kingdom. And there's actually so many examples of this in Scripture. It's really clear. All the commentators universally agree on it. But the question is, since there's so many horns in Scripture, there's all different horns across all different visions, all talking about different rulers. There's the horn of the Moabites, horn of the Ammonites, this horn, that horn. How can we identify which precise horns the prophet Zechariah is speaking of here? How can we know which four kings or which four kingdoms he is talking about? And so we're going to go through, we're going to jump into the next verse. It's going to become clear as we go on. Zechariah chapter 1, verse 19 now. So Zechariah said to the angel, so I said to the angel who was speaking with me, what are these? This is the interpreting angel. And the interpreting angel answers Zechariah and says, these are the horns that have scattered Judah, Israel, and Jerusalem. These horns, these they're going to be described later as horns of the nations. They've scattered Judah, Israel, and Jerusalem. Very straightforward. The diaspora is what we're talking about here. That, that's a word that means dispersion. Even if you are an atheist, this is a historical fact. These horns, these nations have scattered the nation of Israel. This is a historical fact that is prophesied all throughout the Bible. The prophets warned about it. Even Moses warned about it. In Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 64, as part of the curse of the law for Israel uh, committing idolatry and forsaking God, it literally reveals the Lord will scatter you among the peoples from one end of the earth to the other. So even, the na even though the nations have scattered Israel, God has allowed it because Israel uh, rejected and forsook their God. And so this has been prophesied for thousands of years, and now it's just a Jewish historical event. There are many Jews that don't believe in Jesus and don't even believe in the Bible, but they believe in the dispersion because it's a historical event. This is why there's Jews all over the world. And this is a recurring theme throughout the entire Bible. When Israel rebels, they are ejected from the promised land. This is why they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. The book of Judges is nothing more than like a loop. It's just looping again and again and again. They disobey, they commit idolatry, 
they go into subjection and slavery, and then God sends a judge, a savior, to save them, and they go back into the land. The Assyrian and Babylonian captivity, those were the largest captivities, right? Those were all because of this curse of Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 64, the curses of the law for the disobedience of the nation. After Christ died, that final act of rebellion that the nation of Israel did against the covenant, against their own God, the Romans came in, they sieged Jerusalem, and they dispersed the Jews you know, all throughout the four corners of the world. And down to this very day, even though Israel's back in her land after 1948 and World War II, uh, still there are Jews all over the world. And it is because of the dispersion. It's because the nations uh, conquered Jerusalem and the Romans dispersed them and all through, I mean, even Hitler and like all throughout the ages, whenever there's persecution against the Jews, they typically are scattered. Um, but the Lord preserves them unlike any other nation in all of history. It's really incredible. And here's why. Jeremiah 31 says, Thus says the Lord, who gives the sun for light by day, the moon and the stars for light by night, who stirs up the sea, the creator who has control over the waves, the sun, the moon, all of it. The Lord of hosts is his name. If this fixed order departs from before me, declares the Lord, then the offspring of Israel also shall cease from being a nation before me forever. You see, God is basically saying, if the moon goes away, if the sun doesn't come up in the morning, that's how sure God's promises are to Israel. He's saying, uh, every night you look up, you see the moon. Every morning you look up, the sun comes up. If that didn't, like, that's how fixed his promise is to preserve Israel as a nation. It's the exact opposite with the Gentile nations. He promised to blot out the nation of the Amalekites. If you can find an Amalekite, please email my ministry. I would love it. It, it, it would, well, I wouldn't actually love it. I would be shocked. Nobody can. They don't exist because God said he would wipe them out. But God will preserve Israel. Israel is often likened to the burning bush, that although the fire of God's judgment is around her because she has rebelled, she will never be burned up and consumed because God is within her. God is among her. And so, you know, the angel is telling Zechariah here that these horns have scattered Judah, Israel, and Jerusalem. And it's very important to understand, we're talking about the times of the Gentiles, which I've spoken about quite a bit in the past. Israel really is the key to understanding world history. Right after I got saved, this was just an incredible thing to realize. Like to understand world history, you really have to understand biblical history and the nation of Israel. Jesus in Luke chapter 21 says, they, the Jewish people, Israel, will fall by the edge of the sword. They will be led captive into all the nations and Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles, by the nations, until the times of the nations, the Gentiles, are fulfilled. So beginning with the Babylonian captivity where Jerusalem was ransacked and the temple was destroyed, all the way till the end of the tribulation, all the way until the end of the, the, all the way until the second coming of Christ, from the Babylonian captivity, about 580 BC, all the way to the second coming of Christ, that period of time is marked by this scattering, marked by this dispersion and, and the Jews being, you know, Jerusalem being trampled. Even today, even though Israel is in some control of Jerusalem, the Temple Mount largely is separated. It's under the control of Jordan and differing nations. And, you know, it, it's really in a, just an amazing uh, spot. It's the hottest piece of real estate on planet Earth. And it's, it's really meant for people to see 
the biblical witness and the veracity of Scripture so that they turn to the Scriptures, because they can make you wise for salvation through faith which is in Christ. They are so true. And so these times of the Gentiles, the times where man rules upon the earth, where the nations rule, Israel does not rule during the times of the Gentiles. They began with the Babylonian captivity. They began with the horn of Rome. Oh, excuse me, the horn, the first horn, Babylon, we'll, we'll talk about, scattering the nation of Israel. They will not end until after the tribulation. So, here's the key, and this is really what we're going to be focusing on today. We're going to be jumping all over the Bible. Here's the key to unlocking Zechariah's visions. It's very straightforward. It's the book of Daniel and the book of Revelation, specifically Daniel chapter 2 and 7 and Revelation chapter 13 and a little bit in 17. And this is what's incredible. Guys, scripture is like a beautiful tapestry. There's so much treasure within it. No books are really like Zechariah, Daniel, and Revelation, like at all in the whole Bible. They're all apocalyptic. They're all eschatological. They all talk about the end times. They all involve visions, and all the visions line up. Nowhere else in the Bible are, are there books so dedicated to that. I mean, it's just so clear. Daniel and Revelation fit like a glove, and Zechariah is kind of like the arms that are attached to the hands, right? Zechariah is not fully like Daniel and Revelation, but it's the closest thing. And, and it's just so important to understand, Scripture interprets Scripture. We don't have to leave the Bible to figure out what these visions mean. In fact, if you don't leave the Bible, they become incredibly straightforward. Now, this is a complex prophecy, so I just want you to understand, if you'll go to my website, foolishministries.com, I've done a whole 25-part series through the book of Daniel. I did an eight-part series through the book of Haggai, and now we're going through Zechariah. So we're going to be doing a general overview today of Daniel chapter 2 and 7 and Revelation 13. If you want more detail, I really recommend the Daniel study. And you should do Daniel before this book because that's how it goes chronologically. But if you haven't done that, it's okay. We will get through this together. So first chapter we need to go through is Daniel chapter 2. It is a vision of a great statue of a man. It's representing the times of the Gentiles, right? The time of man's rule upon the earth. And the statue has all these different types of metal, gold, silver, and bronze. They represent different kingdoms. And before Daniel reveals the meaning of this vision, look what he says. God reveals the mystery to Daniel in one night, in a night vision, and then Daniel blesses the God of heaven. And Daniel says, let the name of God be blessed forever and ever. He has wisdom and all power belongs to him. It's he who changes the times and the epochs. He, this is key, removes kings and establishes kings. Remember, we're trying to identify who these four horns, these four kings are. And here, Daniel says, this vision has to do with the removal and the establishment of kings. Daniel says he gives wisdom to the wise. He gives knowledge to the men of understanding. He reveals the profound and hidden things. He knows what's in the darkness and the light dwells with him. My friends, pray to the Lord. He can reveal the deep mysteries of the Bible to us. And it is exhilarating when you realize how clear this stuff is if we just roll up our sleeves and dig in with the power of the Holy Spirit. It's only the Spirit of God that can give us the true interpretation and apply it to our hearts. And so Daniel goes on to say, there's a God in heaven who reveals mysteries, and he's made known to the Babylonian king, Nebuchadnezzar, what will take place in the latter days. Very important. This 
Vision has to do with the latter days, has to do with the removal of kings and the establishment of kings. And then Daniel goes into explaining it. He says, you, O king, you're the king of kings. He, he told him earlier, he's the head of gold. He says, the God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power, strength, and glory. After you, though, after Nebuchadnezzar, who is Babylon, the head of gold, there will be another kingdom. There will arise another kingdom that will be inferior to you, not as powerful, and then another third kingdom of bronze, which will rule over all the earth. And then there will be, this is so important, a fourth kingdom, a fourth kingdom. Daniel speaks of four kingdoms. That number four is huge today. There are four horns, and Daniel is now speaking of four kingdoms. Later on, we're going to look at another vision of four beasts. Now, these kingdoms are pretty straightforward. The golden head is Babylon. The silver arms and chest is Medo-Persia that conquered Babylon. The belly and thighs of bronze are Greece, which conquered Medo-Persia. And then after that, there is a fourth kingdom. Doesn't say five kingdoms. Doesn't say 12 kingdoms. These are worldwide. These are global empires that conquer the known world. And there is a fourth kingdom as strong as iron. This is Rome, like the iron legions of Rome. Okay, Rome is the fourth kingdom. Inasmuch as iron crushes and shatters all things, like iron that breaks in pieces, it will crush and break all these in pieces. Now, this fourth kingdom is strong. It crushes the other nations. That's what Rome did. It conquered Greece and Medo-Persia, all that land, right? However, it doesn't say there's a fifth kingdom. Rather, and this is where it gets confusing. Stay with me here. Do not get lost. The fourth kingdom has a final form. Daniel does not say there's a fifth kingdom. He says there's a fourth kingdom, but... Those legs of iron are the fourth kingdom, but then Daniel says, the feet and the toes, very important. They're partly of potter's clay and partly of iron. He does not say there's a fifth kingdom, partly of potter's clay and partly of iron. No, no, no. He says the fourth kingdom, it has a final form. It's a divided kingdom. It has the strength of the iron, but it's mixed with common clay. Uh, most commentators think this is like Europe, the European Union, uh, a revived Roman Empire one day. It's not important that we agree on that now. That's more in my Daniel series. Most important thing, there are four kingdoms during the times of the Gentiles that rule over Israel and that rule the world. And Daniel says, in the days of those kings, well, what kings? You're going to see it in a second. The ten toes. The ten toes of the feet represent ten kings. And Daniel says, in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom. So it's very important. Daniel says there's four kingdoms, and after that, the kingdom of God comes, and that will never be destroyed. And the kingdom of God will crush. We're going to look into that later. The kingdom of God crushes and puts an end to all these kingdoms, but it endures forever. Okay, so I know this is confusing, so I just want to summarize with some key points. Most important about Daniel's vision of the statue. There are four Gentile kingdoms revealed to Daniel. They correspond with the four horns of Zechariah. After these four, Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, and Rome, the kingdom of God comes. When the kingdom of God comes, God completely annihilates the Gentile kingdom. So that's it for Daniel chapter 2. We'll review it a little more later. Remember, we're keeping it kind of 30,000 foot view. <laughs> Very important to remember, four kingdoms. Now, the next vision is in Daniel chapter 7. And once again, you're going to see the number 4. 
What's incredible about this vision is it is strikingly similar to Zechariah chapter 1, the vision of the horns and the craftsmen. Check this out. In Daniel chapter 7, Daniel's looking in his vision by night. Just like in Zechariah chapter 1, he is receiving a night vision. And Daniel sees the four winds of heaven stirring up the great sea, right? There's a great sea. It resembles humanity and all the nations. And then Daniel sees four, very important, great beasts coming up from the sea. You're going to see in a bit, these beasts represent nations. So number one, but the, the, the similarities between Daniel chapter 7 and the vision of the horns in Zechariah 1, both were at night. Both also used an interpreting angel, possibly the same interpreting angel, Gabriel, but we don't know. And the number four, we're we're tracking this number four. In Daniel chapter two, there's four kingdoms. Here, there's four beasts. In Zechariah chapter one, there are four horns. So it's important to understand in Daniel chapter seven, the word beast, and you're going to see this later in Revelation 13, has the idea of a nation or a kingdom. Whereas the word horn, like we discussed earlier, has the idea of a king or a ruler. However, these are used interchangeably sometimes. A horn can mean a kingdom. A horn can mean a ruler. A beast can mean a kingdom. A beast can also mean a ruler. Horn and beast can mean king or kingdom. They can be used interchangeably, right? And so Zechariah's four horns are described as the horns of the nations. They're connected to the nations that have lifted up their horns against the land of Judah to scatter it, okay? This is just like how a wild beast, like Daniel is talking about four beasts, four nations, a wild beast would raise up its horn to attack. Zechariah is seeing the horns of these four beasts attacking Israel. These nations have a horn, a king, that is hostile towards Israel. And so Daniel begins to see this vision, and he sees four great beasts. And the first one, just like the head of gold, is Babylon. But this time, the beast looks like a lion. Babylon is the lion. Then the next one after that is looks like a bear, and it is the Medo Persian Empire. In fact, the bear is raised up on one side, just like Persia was stronger than the Median Empire, right? And so the first two are Babylon and Medo Persia, just like in the statue. The third beast that Daniel sees looks like a leopard, and it's speaking of Greece. Well, the final beast, it doesn't look like any animal in creation. It's mysterious. Daniel can't quite figure it out. It is dreadful and terrifying, and it is the fourth beast. He says, I kept looking in the vision, and behold, a fourth beast. He doesn't say there's five beasts. Just like Daniel chapter 2 doesn't say there's five kingdoms. There's four beasts, and this fourth one is dreadful and terrifying, extremely strong. It had large iron teeth. Remember, iron from Daniel chapter 2 represented Rome. And so you see the connection between Daniel 2, the iron of the fourth kingdom, and Daniel 7, the iron teeth of the fourth beast. And it's going to be Zechariah's fourth horn. We'll, We'll talk about that in a second. So it has large iron teeth, and it devoured and crushed and trampled down the remainder with its feet. It was different. This final kingdom is very different than Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, and even ancient Rome. And that just checks out, beloved. If there was a worldwide kingdom or government right now, it will be the first time in thousands of years, right? Since ancient Rome, 
it with technology, it would look vastly different than all the other world beasts, world governments, right? And so this final one with large iron teeth, it trampled down. It was different from all the beasts. It's ferocious. Uh, it has 10 horns. So just like the statue in Daniel 2, the final kingdom had 10 toes. In the days of those kings, the God of heaven sets up a kingdom. Here, this fourth beast has 10 horns. It's also revealed later on that not only does this fourth beast have large iron teeth indicative of Rome, he also has claws of bronze, which in the statue represented Greece. That's why a lot of people believe this will be a revived, like, holy Roman empire. But to recap, it's important that we stay focused on the number four. There are four horns in Zechariah 1. There are four kingdoms in Daniel 2. And then there are four beasts in Daniel 7. And very clearly, they're all representing nations, the very same nations that scattered and oppressed Israel. There is also a final fourth kingdom, and that kingdom has 10 toes, which are 10 kings, and 10 horns, which Revelation will then reveal later on, and Daniel will actually also illuminate here in a second, are clearly 10 kings. So I know we're all over the place with numbers. If you have to, rewind the video. The number four is most important. Remember, these 10 kings, these 10 horns might be confusing you a little bit. These are only a part of that final kingdom, and that'll become more clear as we go. And so Daniel gets clarification from the interpreting angel, just like Zechariah. And the interpreting angel says, the fourth beast, four, <laughs> will be a fourth kingdom on the earth. It'll be different from all the other kingdoms. It devours the whole earth, treads it down, and crushes it. This is a global empire ruled by the Antichrist. It's the fourth kingdom of Daniel's statue, and it's the fourth beast of Daniel 7. And then he says, as for the 10 horns, just like the 10 toes, out of this final kingdom, 10 kings will arise. So very straightforward. We now tie in Daniel 2 and Daniel 7 with the revelation, and you're all set, okay? So I hope you're, I hope you're with me. If not, rewind 10 minutes, and we're we're going to do a summary again, because I know this is a bit complex, but in Revelation 13, and I love the unity of the scriptures, over 600 years after Daniel is written, five, 600 years after the book of Zechariah is written, here John sees the revelation. He sees all the glories of the second coming of Christ and the plan, and he sees a beast coming up out of the sea. Just like Daniel chapter 7, verse 2, the four winds are stirring up the great sea, John the Apostle, who wrote the Revelation, sees the beast, the fourth beast that Daniel saw coming up out of the sea, having ten horns. Exact, I mean, it fits like a glove, exact same language. And the beast that John sees is like a leopard, Greece. His feet are like those of a bear, Medo-Persia, and his mouth like the mouth of a lion, Babylon. Okay, and remember, the fourth beast had iron teeth. That's Rome, this fourth beast, the reason Daniel says he, he can't figure out what it looks like, it doesn't look like a lion or a bear, it doesn't look like a cougar, it's because it's an amalgamation of all four of these empires, right? It's an amalgamation of all the four kingdoms of Daniel 2, all the four beasts of Daniel 7, right? And so Rome will be a part of it, uh, probably the leading part in it. It's iron teeth. Teeth are used for biting and attacking Rome, and it's bronze claws for shredding. Rome and Greece may be like the chief uh, two leaders in the Antichrist kingdom one day. However, we want to just stay focused on four, 
This final beast in Revelation 13 is composed of three of the nations, right? But it is itself the fourth beast, right? So the number four is so consistent. And then in Revelation 17, you learn about the fourth kingdom's 10 kings. Revelation 17 uh, is revealed that those 10 horns are 10 kings, and they receive authority as kings with the beast, with the Antichrist, with the final fourth beast worldwide government nation that tramples the earth, right? And these 10 kings, they have one purpose. They give their power and authority to the beast. These are the, the ones who make war with the lamb. The lamb overcomes them. This is describing the government that is destroyed by Christ at his second coming. That government contained within that final global government are the four horns of Zechariah, are the four beasts of Daniel 7, are the four kingdoms of Daniel chapter 2. So let's just review one more time. We're trying to figure out who are the four horns of Zechariah chapter 1, we realize they are clearly the four kingdoms of Daniel 2. They are the four beasts. They're, they're the horns that are on top of the four beasts of Daniel chapter 7 and revealed most clearly in the fourth and final beast of Revelation 13. Okay? There are going to be four, uh, all the prophets agree, like 100% from Zechariah to Daniel 2 to Daniel 7 to Revelation 13 to Revelation 17, all the prophets agree. They're going to be four great world powers that will scatter and oppress Israel from the time of the captivity in Babylon until the setting up of God's kingdom on earth. This doesn't mean Israel won't be oppressed by other nations. It's, we're talking about worldwide, you know, leaders of the free world, right? And so those, those four horns are Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, and Rome, with a future revived Roman Empire. There's not five kingdoms. The, the final revived Roman Empire is not a fifth kingdom or a fifth beast. It's just the final form of Rome, right? A lot of people will say today, we actually still live in a Roman system, and we'll talk more about that in, in, in a few minutes. And so let's move on. So we, we figured out who the four horns are. Then the Lord showed Zechariah four craftsmen. And this is actually easier to figure out than the four horns, but there's four craftsmen. Now that word for craftsman can, be, can mean a jeweler, an engraver, a carpenter, which I find it interesting. Jesus was a carpenter <laughs> or a stonemason. Most commonly though, it can also mean like a smith, like a blacksmith. And regardless of the exact one you pick, they all involve this. These trades, they break up hard materials. They crush metal and stone, and they cut wood, and they chip away at something very hard. They cut large materials down to size, okay? So that's what it is. The most common word is craftsman or really blacksmith, okay? And so Zechariah sees four craftsmen, now, the reason the craftsmen, the smiths, the stonemasons, the carpenters, the reason these smiths are pretty easy to figure out is because they're not mentioned anywhere else in Scripture. We don't have to jump all over Daniel and Revelation to figure this out. These craftsmen, their identity, their purpose, everything is revealed within the next two verses. They're not all over Scripture. So since we have nothing to go off of in Scripture, we know it's all about to be revealed right here. Okay, This is the last verse we're discussing in Zechariah today. So Zechariah says, what are these coming to do? Zechariah asked the interpreting angel, what are these craftsmen coming to do? 
And the interpreting angel says, these are the horns which have scattered Judah. Okay, so not that the craftsmen are the horns. You're going to see that in a second. The interpreting angel wants to give Zechariah more information about the horns first. So he tells him, these horns which have scattered Judah so that no man lifts up his head. That's like he's basically, the people of Israel are depressed because they've been scattered by these nations. But these craftsmen, this is clear, they've come to terrify them. We'll talk about that in a second. The craftsmen come to terrify the horns, to throw down, to conquer the horns of the nations who have lifted up their horns against the land of Judah in order to scatter it. So we hear in this first part of Zechariah chapter 1, verse 21, the horns that have scattered Judah, the four horns, so that no man lifts up his head. And that word, those words basically mean depression, um, disgrace. In Job chapter 10, he said, I dare not lift up my head. I'm sated. I'm full with disgrace. It has the idea of, of shame, just like Israel's you know, in the valley amidst the myrtle trees. It's a time of lowliness and humility for the nations. The men cannot lift up their heads, which is like a sign of triumph and victory. Their heads are hanging low. They're looking downward, right? And so it's, it's so important to understand all eight visions of Zechariah are connected. This is how it all becomes simple, what it really means. So the horns have scattered Judah and Israel and broken them, and they're all depressed. The craftsmen now come to terrify them, to throw down the horns of the nations. Remember from Zechariah chapter 1, the man on the red horse, the angel of the Lord, the Lord reveals he is very angry with the nations who are at ease. The Lord is not happy with the smug arrogance and peaceful state of the nations that oppress Israel. For while he was only a little angry with Israel, he gave Israel into the hands of Babylon and then Medo-Persia. They furthered the disaster. They went outside the designs of God. They treated Israel with cruelty. And so the four horns are the same nations that God is angry at. He's angry at these nations and many others, but specifically these four nations. And the man riding upon the red horse is angry at them, right? And so the, the visions are all connected. And so now the Lord pronounces judgment. He's sending these craftsmen to terrify them. That word terrify means tremble frighten, or even quake, like an earthquake. Like when God gave the law to Israel on Mount Sinai, literally the whole mountain shook and quaked, and there was a lightning and a storm. And so the idea of the craftsmen coming to terrify them, it's to make these nations tremble, frighten, quake, and shake in their boots. And so these nations represented as wild beasts, okay? The nations are represented, the four horns, the four wild beasts, as having raise their horns against the land of Judah, now the Lord is sending the craftsmen to cut them down to size. So the question is, who are the craftsmen, right? These craftsmen have come to terrify them, to throw down the horns of the nations. Who are the craftsmen? And it's very straightforward in Scripture. Babylon, which is the first horn, was conquered by Medo-Persia, the first craftsman. And this is predicted and prophesied in Scripture. In Isaiah chapter 13, Speaking of the judgment of Babylon, the Lord says, I'm going to stir up the Medes against them. In Isaiah chapter 41, speaking of Cyrus, the Persian, the first craftsman, right? It says the coastlands, the Gentiles, they've seen and are afraid because Cyrus came in conquering, right? The ends of the earth tremble. That's that word for terrify, right? Isaiah chapter 45, God literally named Cyrus centuries before he's born, or a century or two before he's born, before this happens. 
The Lord, uh, thus says the Lord to Cyrus. Like I said, you can't understand the history of the world unless you understand Israel. <laughs> Isaiah chapter 41, thus says the Lord to Cyrus, the, the Medo-Persian king, right? His anointed, whom I've taken by the right hand. This is why God took Cyrus by the right hand, to subdue nations. So you see all this prophecy that God sent Cyrus as the, the first craftsman against the first horn, Babylon. Well, now Medo-Persia, they were in control of Israel. They were ruling over Israel during the time Zechariah is written. Medo-Persia, they're the second horn. Well, they were conquered by Greece, which was the second craftsman. Then Greece was the third horn. They ruled over Israel, right? They were conquered by Rome, the third craftsman. However, Rome was never conquered by any craftsman. Rome was never hammered and broken apart and beaten like a craftsman beaten, you know, a piece of metal or anything like that. Rome fragmented. It split apart due to division and the invasion of Germanic tribes. It became, the land largely became what we know as the European Union. So the question is, who's the final craftsman? We know the first horn was Babylon. The first craftsman was Medo-Persia. The second horn was Medo-Persia, and the second craftsman was Greece. The third horn was Greece, and the third craftsman was Rome. Who's the final craftsman who destroys this final version of Rome? And during the tribulation, a, a revived Roman Empire will arise, and it will combine the kingdoms of Babylon, Medo-Persia, and Greece into a final beast, a final global government that devours the entire earth. And check this out. In Daniel 2, this is what destroyed the statue. There was a stone. Christ is the stone, the rock of our salvation. The stone that the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. In Daniel chapter 2, the stone that's broken off from the mountain, it's broken off from the mountain without hands. It's typifying the virgin birth of Christ, that Christ is not a created being. When we see that a stone is coming that's broken off without hands, it's, it's a divine stone. And this stone crushed the statue. It crushed the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold, just like a smith or craftsman crushes metal. Okay? So very clearly, Daniel 2, the statue is destroyed by Christ. Daniel 7, Daniel's looking in the visions, and we see the destruction of the beast, and this is what he sees. He's looking in these night visions, and because of the blasphemies, the boastful words of this horn, this little horn, this ruler of the beast was speaking, he keeps looking until the beast is slain and its body is destroyed and given to the burning fire. You'll, you'll see that later on in the book of Revelation. The Antichrist, the beast, is thrown into the lake of fire with the false prophet. And so Daniel sees the little horn, the final fourth horn of Zechariah, boasting and blaspheming against God. And then he's destroyed. He's given to the burning fire. And then just two verses later, Daniel says, Behold, with the clouds of heaven, one like a son of man was coming. So what destroyed the beast? The son of man. What destroyed the statue of Daniel chapter 2? The stone, Christ. The final horn Zechariah saw, the fourth horn, was the Antichrist, who will be destroyed by the final craftsman, Jesus Christ. It's incredible. It's a very consistent story. 
And you also have to remember Haggai. We did our series on Haggai. Haggai and Zechariah are prophesying just a few weeks apart to the nation of Israel. Haggai already told the nations, God is going to shake the nations. He's going to destroy the power of the kingdoms of the nations. And now Zechariah is unfolding how God is going to do that, right? The man on the red horse is the final craftsman. The man on the red horse from the first vision of Zechariah is the final craftsman, and they're both angry with the nations. God says he's going to shake the nations, and now he says, I'm doing that by sending this final craftsman to make them tremble. Just as it's written of the battle of Armageddon in Ezekiel 38, on the day that that they see the Lord, all mankind who are on the face of the earth will shake at my presence, will quake and tremble at the presence of Christ as he descends back into his own creation to save Israel. Luke chapter 21, Jesus said, On that day, men will be fainting from fear and the expectation of the things which are coming upon the world, for the powers of the heavens will be shaken. And on that day, not just the four horns, all the nations of the world will be gathered against Jerusalem. They'll be led by the four horns. They'll be led by the fourth beast and the fourth kingdom. But all the nations of the world will be gathered against Jerusalem. And the final fourth craftsman, Jesus Christ, will come to terrify them. Now, guys, this is so important. I want you to take a moment and just meditate. You should be awestruck by the high imperial sovereignty of your creator. I love this statement. I read it in a book once. God is the high imperial sovereign of his creation. And I want you to take a moment and with me meditate on the sovereignty of God expressed in his preservation of the nation of Israel. Jeremiah chapter 30, verse 11, the Lord speaks to Israel and says, I'm with you, declares the Lord, to save you. I will destroy completely all the nations where I have scattered you. So even though the nations have scattered Israel, God takes responsibility for it as the sovereign. But then he says, I will not destroy you completely. He tells him, I'll discipline you. During the tribulation, Israel, and and now Israel is under chastisement and discipline. But he says, I will not destroy you. I will destroy all the nations where I've scattered you. I will not destroy you, Israel. God is the sovereign. Look at this. This is incredible. When you wrap your mind around history and and you use Israel as the key that unlocks redemptive history, you should be awestruck. This is cool. Check this out. All four horns, Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, Rome, historically, these are known as the greatest nations to ever exist. Like the movie 300, all the books, all the legends, all the stories, all the great movies that you go see, like the Iron Legions of Rome, they're all talking about these nations, not Babylon so much because they're so far in the past, but certainly Persia with Xerxes and Greece with Alexander the Great, and certainly Rome. And all of these nations had a better military than Israel. They had more wealth than Israel, and they ruled over oppressed and scattered little Israel. And check this out. Where are they? Where's ancient Rome? It doesn't exist. There's no iron legions of Rome. I know Rome is a a state right now, a country. I understand that. I know you can go to Greece right now. It's not the same as when Alexander the Great rules. Where's Medo-Persia? Where's Babylon? Where are these nations? If you were to just take a betting man 2,000 years ago and line up the little army of Israel with the iron legions of Rome and say, hey, which nation is going to be in power 2,000 years from now? 
No one would bet on Israel. It would have seemed mathematically impossible if you lined up Israel next to Greece or Medo Persia or Babylon or anyone throughout all the ages. You would never bet on Israel. Israel has outlived all of her oppressor, oppressors. <laughs> Israel has withstood, and this is just a sliver of some of the genocide and terrorism and hate against the nation of Israel, but Israel has withstood, read the book of Esther, the attempted genocide of the entire nation by Haman. They've withstood and withstand it against the Greek tyrant Antiochus Epiphanes. He killed over 80,000 Jews. He slaughtered infants and hung them around their mother's necks. The Jews withstood. They've lived on past the Roman siege and scattering of Jerusalem that Jesus predicted. The Jews lived through the Holocaust and Hitler's final solution. And yes, the Jews will live and be just fine, even though Hamas has recently attacked them. Israel ever is and will always be the bush that does not burn, for God is in her midst. There's a funny saying in Israel, I've just learned it recently, basically every Jewish holiday summarized. They tried to kill us, they failed. Let's eat. <laughs> it's funny, but it's true. I mean, they are the most oppressed and, and uh, taken advantage of nation in all of human history. They're the nation the Messiah came from, and it's all revealed and prophesied within the pages of Scripture. And so finally, beloved, all four of these horns, Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, Rome, will be amalgamated. They will be combined, congealed into a final government, a revived Roman Empire, right? A global kingdom. And then there will be a time of distress, a great tribulation such as never occurred since there was a nation until that time. Daniel chapter 12, Jesus in Matthew 24 says it will be the absolute worst time since the creation, even worse than the Noahic flood. Jeremiah said, alas, that day is great. There's none like it. It's the time of Jacob's trouble, Jacob's distress, Jacob the father of the 12 tribes of Israel. It's the time of Israel's trouble, but he will be saved from it. These nations led by the Antichrist will arrogantly lift up their horns one last time against God's chosen nation, Israel. And then Zechariah reveals more details as we go through this book. When these nations lift up their horns this final time, they'll make a final all-out assault against Jerusalem to wipe Israel off the map, the Lord will go forth and fight against those nations as when he fights on a day of battle. Zechariah 9 says, The Lord will appear over them. His arrow will go forth like lightning. Jesus said, Do not look for me. People are, there's going to be false Christ saying, Go here and see him. Go there and see him. Uh, he's in the inner rooms. He's in the desert. Jesus says, Don't even look, because when I come back, it will be like lightning out of the sky. You won't miss me. And the Lord God, Zechariah says, I, I think this is the coolest phrase in the Bible, <laughs> the Lord God will blow the trumpet and will march in the storm winds of the south. And uh, that really doesn't have much teaching value right now, but I just find that to be the coolest verse in the Bible. I just picture Jesus walking amidst the, amidst the tornadoes and the hurricanes and blowing the trumpet and coming back to fight against the nations that fight against Israel. And on that day, Psalm 110, Jesus used this psalm to prove his divinity, to prove that he was God to the Pharisees. And it's a psalm of, of judgment. Yeah. 
In Psalm 110, verse 5, it says, The Lord is at your right hand. He will shatter kings in the day of his wrath. He will shatter those four horns in the day of his wrath. He will judge among the nations. He'll fill them with corpses. He'll he'll shatter the chief men, the leaders, the horns, over a broad country, over the entire earth. He'll drink from the brook by the wayside. It has the idea of him royally and regally refreshing himself. Therefore, this is key. He will lift up his head. The, the nations that scattered and oppressed Israel, this craftsman is coming back. He's going to crush these four horns. He's going to crush the final horn, and he will lift up his head in triumph. And then Israel will never be oppressed again, and her king will reign from sea to sea. There's a phrase going on right now, uh, from river to sea, Palestine will be free, which is basically saying they'll be free from Israel. It's an anti-Semitic statement, an anti-Zionist statement. And it's not true. It's not scripturally true. But the King, the Lord Jesus Christ, he will reign, not from river to sea, from sea to sea, over the entire earth. And he will raise up a redeemed Israel to rule with him in the promised land. And so just a final word for the nations, for, the, for Israel, and for everyone. For the nations that persecute Israel, If you only knew the doom intended for you, you would flee to the Son of God for mercy. Israel, if you only knew the glory in store for you, perhaps you would not have rejected your king and continue to reject him today. Turn to Christ, Israel. And to everyone, anyone who will hear Isaiah chapter 45, verse 22, I'll end with this. This is God calling you to himself. Anyone who has ears to hear, God says, turn to me and be saved all the ends of the earth. Gentiles, Israel, Jew, Greek, doesn't matter. Turn back to God through faith in Christ. For I am God and there is no other.